Okay, Matthew, so um, episode four. Yep. Um, Medieval Square Goes. What should we tell people about this episode? Uh, so in this episode, we're going to cover what was going on in the medi- medieval period. So it's um, going to be talking about Picts, Scots, Britons, uh, touching on the Vikings as well. Yeah, the Three Kingdoms, as it's kind of described and as we characterise it uh, as in this in this era, so it kind of follows on. If you listen to our episode, um, um, episode, I think it was episode one, um, two, two episode two. God, I really need to get this right, don't I? Uh, <laughs> who got here first? We talked about early human history. It's kind of falls on from that. So we're looking at a kind of really wide period um, after that sort of ancient historical period um, up until uh, you know um, pretty much up until the unification of Scotland. And, and the reason we're talking about it is because Loch Lomond is quite quite relevant. Uh, in that story, so some interesting uh, facts and information about the area in that. Um, also, a lot of irrelevant chat as well, which we'll come on to in a second. And corrections and apologies, um, uh, but yeah, it's a good episode if you're wanting to learn more about this part of uh, this part of history, as um, through the medium of listening to Matt and I trudge through random areas of uh, long and short grass. So yeah, might as well go straight on to corrections and apologies, Matt, because yeah, that is quite way. extensive, easily our most extensive one yet. Um, I've got here, uh, I guess this is kind of like things that we didn't get to expand on. Um, Sedge, for anyone listening to this episode, this is a bit weird out of context now, but Sedge is a type of grass. There you go, that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to move on to the next one. Um, bird sounds, are they made up? Um, oh no, sorry, bird What's names. They <laughs> sound made up. God almighty. This is tough, isn't it? Uh, I should say that Matt and I did go for a few tipples last night, so this is even more difficult. But um, <laughs> So um, I've tried to um, say at one point that bird names sound made up, and I've not really expanded on my point very much. Um, I think I looked back at the page in the book which, which inspired this point um, that I was reading, and I found a name which was Black-Tailed Godwit. Um, and I just, I just thought it sounded like a slur that Draco Malfoy might use. So you're welcome to bring other suggestions of bird names that just sound like they're made up. Um, maybe this could be a recurring theme, um, if that's what interests people. Who knows? Um, would you like to talk about the next one, Matt? Um, so you reference goth culture in Scotland uh, and refer to a place called the Cat House, but you never actually told us what that, that was. The Cat House no. was um, the Cat House. It's not. Um, uh, not a kind of what's a kennel for cats? A litter? Is it? I don't know. It's not that though. It's not a kitten factory. It's a a club in which um, you know the more kind of creatively uh, you know uh, those of us with more creative sartorial choices among us like to frequent. Um, but yeah, there's a strong, and proud golf culture among the people who frequent that, that location. But yeah, you'll, you'll see some you'll see some imag- imaginative uh, outfits outside that establishment in Glasgow. Um, specky. Um, do you want to explain Specky, Matt? Specky's just someone who wears glasses. I was about to say specs. <laughs> <laughs> explain a slur with a slur. Um, yeah, I don't know how it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's grown arms and legs. It's also, I would say Specky's also just a kind of a state of being as well. You can be specky and not wear glasses. That's something that you should... Uh, yeah, I guess so. I have no idea. Is this, a, is this a Scottish thing or is this wider? I am. I can find out. Yeah. Well, Matt, it's frantically Google specky. Um, I should also go into the next one and just say that um, I was talking a little bit about the story of the Kingdom of the Britons, which we cover in this episode, and King Arthur. 
I don't really kind of touch on it again though uh, in very much detail but there's not much to say there just other than you know King Arthur and all the mythology associated with that um, a site that we that we cover in this episode Dumbarton close to Loch Lomond um, is quite significant in the sort of mythologies around King King Arthur so there's lots in t- that you can look at in regards to that uh, any update on I think it's just a British word or it's not so maybe you'll understand it if you're outside Scotland Specky we're still talking about speckiness by the way um, the next one here yeah, oofed. we really, well, I really kind of uh, traversed into t- rhetoric territory that is well beyond my qualifications by talking about cancel culture. And uh, I mentioned John Wayne being cancelled. I thought it was for him being maybe sexually aggressive, um, but it turns out he was racist. Hence why Paul McHenry Yeah, and there was a Bill Barr sketch which tried to kind of like you know, show the the other anyway. I'm not gonna go into it. Um it's not up for me as a as a, you know, uh, white man to talk about what's offensive and what's not for people uh, in terms of racism. So I'm not gonna um yeah. Gonna ramble on about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I put here we would like to not apologise to Neil Oliver. Like, um, I might just need to also be a recurring each week. You yeah. Not apologise to Neil yeah. Oliver for whatever you say. But I mean maybe things will change, but this week I'd like to not apologise to him. Um, I want to apologise though to my mum again uh, in this podcast for uh, kind of basically slandering her reputation as a mother. Um, and <laughs> Getting out of contact, so that's not great. <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll make more sense if you listen to the episode. Um, and the uh, last one, Matt is kind of more academic. Um, I've got the directions a lock long wrong. I stupidly said gear lockheads, you go up that way, but you don't. Yeah. I think what Matt and I like to promote in this podcast is. Um, really active listening um, and like you know you, you should feel like you, should, you can challenge our uh, sort of points That's, we want people to be stimulated and, and, and thinking you know not just taking everything we say as given so it's really funny someone does challenges and you're like right, fair enough well, probably right yeah I'm just going to say go to Google mate <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting paid for this um, so yeah um, that's that's the episode it's a fun one Um <laughs> it was, it, we did we did ramble on ramble on quite a bit, but um, we, we we covered some interesting stories and I think um, some some interesting sites again that you can visit as part of these stories and uh, immerse yourself in the culture of Loch Lomond. Do you know? But uh, yeah, hope you enjoy the episode um, and we'll catch you next time. That's the thing about kind of Ancelotti, just... He's just so good at build, building that team, it doesn't look matter looking at age or... Aye. There are thunders of berries about. I was uh, walking in Ballot Park yesterday and... I was just like, scanning them. And then this boy in a bike just cycled past with Doug and he just kind of looked at me, but I had like... I was like, alright, and I had my berries in my mouth and like my hands were covered in like purple juice. Aye. Looked like a like a bear caught with sand in a pot of honey or something. It's quite embarrassing. Middle of the day. Oh, not the most embarrassing thing that's happened in Ballot Park to be fair. It's a valid point to argue, I guess. It doesn't make it good, it's just not the worst.
So are you, are you just being binge watching Fraser instead of uh, Baywatch? Or? Yeah, yeah, Baywatch. After I came back from Canada, I got canned. Okay. Uh, and I felt Slightly better TV. Critically, probably, yeah. <laughs> so, this path should meet up with the roads again once we get to there. Should, should, should be able to pop back down. Um, to Strathcashel Point. Correct. It does sound a wee bit Sean Connery whenever you say that, doesn't it? Cashel. Is he cancelled? He's dead. He's dead, aye. Can you not be cancelled if you're dead? Ah, I mean... He cancelled Jimmy Savile, didn't he? Yeah. Jimmy Savile. I mean, ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think he is cancelled. He's dead. Um, can't be argued, can um, Yeah, Bill Bird does quite a good sketch on, like, people trying to cancel John Wayne. Right. Saying that apparently he was like aggressive, I think he was quite aggressive towards his wife. Oh, really? Aye. Uh, not possibly quite racist as well. Oh, probably. That's yeah. in the Public Enemy song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he's like, I think he, he's saying that. I suppose it's kind of the conversation of like George Washington owns slaves, isn't it? Like, except that's a bit more extreme, but. It's quite a complex, but it's like. I'm not sure if Bill Burr was arguing if, or something like that, but like, the guy was born in the Great Depression or something. <laughs> yeah, it's not something you can't do. I suppose it's like, he's trying to like, uh, maybe it's just a case of having to separate art from the artist. I don't know. <laughs> when all else fails and you've not got anything else to say about it, that yeah. kind of. That's why I can listen to R. Kelly remixed Ignition. <laughs> Minute on minute, 24-7, you know. I don't do that. I do Not have even once? For a full day. Mm. I've got that in vinyl record. Ah, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> strange, isn't it? I didn't buy it, though, when I made it clear. Oh, was that a present? It was found. Well, I think my sister bought it, and again, not to incriminate her, but she, I think she bought it many years ago, and she was a DJ for a point, so... It was quite a big deal back in the day, that song, you know? Uh, yes. I don't know if you remember going to the dancing and hearing that. Coming on, everybody going a bit wild. Probably wouldn't happen anymore. Well, well mm, depends where you go. Does this, um, are we close to the Nitsaliki here? Mm. Have we not passed that? We passed it? We parked at Millerocky Bay. Aye. Um, this is un unhelpfully not giving me... There we go. Ah, yeah, so that's a wee bit further yeah, up. Yeah, that's so this draft casual point. Trying to get to it. Situated between Millerocky Bay and Salaki Bay, which are two kind of popular camping spots. So this is us joining back on the road. Don't know if that's... No way. Oh, that's what that is. So that's Cashel Farm or Cashel. This is Cashel itself. Native Forest Centre. Yeah, and then I think the farm's up that way. Then you can buy a flight to Rome here. Aye. 
long as we're not forcing anyone to make us a cup of tea on this dirt track, it should be fine. Could go a cup of tea with scone though, actually, if everyone's walking. It's camper buttons. Oh, is that a good time? Bucket full of bottles. These flues. I think we should be able to see, if we get down to the, the lock, we should be able to see across to Amstavarich. Do you know where the name originates from that? It means Hill of the Bell, Tam the Clagan Gaelic. So we'll come on to Aye. Uh, the reasons for that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, it's like the hill on it's called Tam the Clag. Charm's going to be trying to reteach myself this because I was writing these notes, like quite a lot of notes as well. Aye, it's just kind of... I hope I'll come, oh. I'll come back to me as I go going through it. I think it was then some kind of fever dream when I was writing the, in, the introductory part of this. That if for some reason I've, I've alluded, you know, I mean, there's mention of reptiles and moths here. I, I saw that, that, yeah. that, I just realised that. And murder. And murder as well. Um, but that's because today we're talking about <laughs> medieval square goes. So a bit kind of the medieval history around the area. Um, what can we expect to cover in this episode, Matthew? Uh, so we'll be talking about the, some of the kingdoms that existed in medieval times, which included the Picts, the Scots and uh, the Britons as well. And then we'll be moving on to talk about some Vikings as well. And then uh, Christianisation and a wee bit of um, unification. Lovely. Um, there's a lot to get into. So, um, yeah, we can, we're, we're walking between um, Salakay Bay, or Milyaraki Bay and Salakay Bay, trying to find Strathcashel Point, which is one of many points of significance mentioned in this episode today. And um, we'll, we'll go into why, but I guess... We can start um, by talking about uh, the three kingdoms as we're kind of summarising it in this today and why they were um, influential to this area, I guess, or kind of interesting history of this area uh, during the sort of, was described by historians as the Dark Ages. So um, one book which we kind of draw from a lot for this podcast is uh, John Mitchell's Loch Lomond and, um, yeah, characterises the sort of political and cultural life in the Dark Ages or post-Roman Britain, um, which began in the mainland of Britain around uh, 400 AD. That's when the, kinda, the Romans started to kind of retreat um, because of the threat of Germanic tribes and all that kind of stuff, if you're interested in that. Um, he characterised it as the era of the Three Kingdoms uh, in, this, in this area or as part of Scotland or in Scotland in general. Um, so, yeah, I've said here in the notes... Uh, to give a shout out to, to JM. Because, um, uh, yeah, Loch Lomond side the book's called. It's um, very, very good sort of history of uh, the area and like covers a lot of like ecology and stuff like that as well, which is pretty interesting. Um, it does have a lot of chat about uh, things like bogweed uh, for that reason as well. Um, not necessarily interesting to everyone, but unfortunately, I think we're going to have to cover it. At- some point. Yeah, I mean, I do remember having a kind of note saved in my phone somewhere about 
podcast notes and I've mentioned Bogweed, I think, because I was reading. Yeah, you've mentioned it to me before as well, so yeah. it must be somewhere. Talks a lot about Sedge. Still don't know what Sedge is, but a lot of Sedge chat. He also references Sedge specialists. I'm pretty, I could be wrong. This might be, have to go in corrections at some point, but I think that is kind of like a, some sort of. Uh, <laughs> some sort of bog flora um, but apparently there are specialists which, which do study that and maybe their lives are quite good just carting about the bogs um, that sounds that could be construed as something different I guess but yeah this, this podfots tab I've just found my phone is quite strange it says page 122 bird names just sound made up sounds like can you relate to that? Yeah. what bird names sound made up to you? Blue tip. <laughs> but I but I mean there's at least some kind of right, right, right. you know the aesthetic right, yeah. points really, that you can see. I'm gonna to need to go back and try and figure out what I was talking about there, but for, if you can if you understand what I mean then please let us know. I put here three types of bats. Is anyone eating them? That's an interesting reference. Yes. Uh, I think I was referring to like for some reason if if we see someone dressed, let's say you know, at the um, in Glasgow outside the cat house, for example, they're dressed in a black cape and makeup. And uh, I might say, you know, we might somebody might say, uh, what one might say, <laughs> one might say that person looks like he eats bats. Um, might be a reference to the fact that they, um, you know, uh, pay tribute to golf culture, perhaps. Which is fair enough. Fair play to them. Uh, sometimes being described as the the last sort of known group to uh, not receive enough support when it comes to harassment. Uh, the gingers have been well and truly supported that. That's almost the thing, yeah, I think all look, look, cause looked lost for the gingers for a long time, but they've been, they've really hit, they've really came back. It's quite fashionable now. Yeah. If anything. Specky as well. Not that yeah. many folk called out for being specky. No, I've been called specky a couple of times, but now it's more of a term of endearment, I find. I've owned it. Um, what else have I got written down here? Um, I've just says it says page one hundred and sixty-six serpents. That's very, very, very in depth. I mean, we could talk about one of the our friend Dev, who has just a wonderful relationship with serpents and snakes. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, did we talk about this before? No, I don't think serpents have been mentioned no, yet. No, no. I mean, I think because we had, I think it started. Was it during lockdown? Yeah, there was those that python that get let loose in Inverclyde. Yeah, Inverclyde. he lives across the water from Inverclyde, so he was. <laughs> we were going for a walk in, in Lake Cardress, which is across the Clyde Estuary, uh, which is a you know if you're not familiar, I've you know more than a swim. No one could swim that, especially a tropical snake. Ah, apparently they're quite good at swimming. I've right, heard from sources. Fair enough. But I think we can all agree that a tropical snake would struggle to survive in the Clyde Estuary. I, I think the. Uh, the temperature would be more than a, of an issue than the, yeah. the the swimming. So for for context, on Twitter there was lots of interesting images kicking about of like a tropical snake carcass uh, at like Greenock train station. Um, it gets open, mate. Oh, Matt's just leaped this gate. Oh no, it's not open, is it? That's no. not. You're right. I'm going to have to climb this. There you go. I'm just uh, every time I see you, can I go to scale something? I get nervous now because last time you. Yeah, well, chopped your hand off. This is not a barbed fence, so yeah, yeah, the only issue would have been me falling and scalp my head off something. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't it's happen. Not jinx that man. Um, 
Aye, but do you remember all the pictures kicking about Twitter at that time? Uh, yeah, I do. The snake was fucking massive. <laughs> and then um, the second part of that was um, where uh, in the Vale leaving where we are from, someone had also lost a pet snake. Yeah. This time it was across the water from where our friend Div was playing football. But, I mean, for the first story, I mean, he was worried that this tropical snake was going to make its way across uh, this massive body of water and land to bite him in a park in Cardus, which was quite funny um, to us. And then the second story, yeah, it emerged just a couple of months ago, didn't it? In 2022, it was, um, if that's the year we're yeah, in. Um, and yeah, so, so, but it was a bit more local. So that happened, our mate sent, because any snake story we hear, we just send it to the chat, obviously, because we want to get a reaction from David, so. It's usually worth it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> that point, I think you said something like, oh, mate, that's in, that's in Bond Hill. Yes. And uh, David was like, you're kidding me, man. I'm playing football there later today. Literally <laughs> across the water from where. Um, yeah, so we were telling them to basically watch the the white paint on the touchlines in case it was actually a tropical snake. Yeah, the tropical snake we were talking about was indeed very white as well. Yeah, so it was big, yeah. But luckily, um, there have not been, as far as I'm aware, any many fatal snake bites from tropical snakes in, in well, the area. Well, I think with the python, certainly, that would have been a, a just eat you. <laughs> would have just straight up eaten you? Would have been a bite? Would have just been a gen? One, one big bite. <laughs> big consumption. Right, well, maybe maybe it's just if you want to be super careful, just watch out for the big tropical snakes But uh, around here. But yeah, so that was in my notes as well. Obviously, that's what I was trying to point reference to. That's some local stories to do with tropical snakes that you won't hear about in the academic journals. Um, was that a Straff Cashel point? I think it is. That is a point where you are walking towards. We'll find out. Nice. Um, so I, I've went off on a tangent there. Bring it back round. Well, I'll bring it back round. So I think what I was trying to say is, this Loch Lomond side book by John Mitchell is very good. It's part of a series, which is called the New Naturalist Series. Um, and it includes other titles such as Amphibians and Reptiles. That's good, that's fitting. By David Ingram and Noel Robertson. Um, I've put here in brackets. About the monarchy? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> That's just a joke, okay? Don't take it seriously. It's not like we're living in a sensitive time when it comes to talking about the monarchy. Anyway. So, um, uh, as well as another title that is simply called Moths uh, by Michael Majeris, good name. Um, so you can take your pick of those titles, guys. But yeah, um, that is great. It's a great book. It's got a picture in the front of it. I was saying this to you, Matt. It's um, I actually only seen the photo credit the other day when I was reading the book. But it says Loch Lomond taken from Mount Misery. Yes, which, which we believe is, is that that Knocker Hill. Yeah, so I think it's where we recorded our pilot recording, didn't we? But it's, I didn't I had no idea that it was called Mount Misery <coughs> or like that's one of its names. But uh, yeah, near Winnie Winnie Hill Woods, uh, there's a nice wee path up there, the back of Ballot Park. It's actually called um, Mount Misery as well. Um, but uh, yeah, there's. There is, um, kind of, if you Google it, you can find some stories. But I think the name goes back as far as like 17, 1800s. But even at that point, nobody knows why it was called Mount Misery. Um, Miserable place, apparently. I think so. It's nice, actually. But I don't know, maybe there's some snakes. 
There might have been some snakes, some adders. Yeah. Not quite a tropical snake. Maybe but... not, yeah. Just those are native to Greenock and Bonhill. Um, so, yeah, basically, um, you know, Loch Lomond, the surrounding area, we're trying to get a touch on this episode. It's significant, you know, in the wider kind of history of Scotland and that story. Um, and it was sort of a con- convergent area of these three kingdoms of the Scots, the, the Picts and the Britons that we'll kind of focus on in this next section. So I think that's the cache over there. We can... Oh, aye, there's a stone formation. There's somebody, a couple of people who are walking hounds over there. We'll let them enjoy the point for a second as we uh, converge on this small bay looking across the loch. It's resplendent. Nice. Yeah, really nice. A couple of a few ducks, a few avian creatures. Long neck ducks, short neck ducks. That's um, my natural coverage. Um, so yeah, um, as we covered in episode two, Matt, which we think we've titled "Who Got Here First? Um, although the Romans had plenty of fun slapping about folk down in England. Uh, they had a much tougher time of it up north. That's the historical take. That's the academic take, I think. Um, so the Antonine Wall that ran across part of the fourth Clyde line in the central belt of the country was abandoned by the Romans only a couple of decades after it was constructed in 142 AD. Um, but the Romans did talk about having a really tough time of it against uh, people that they, for example, called the Caledonii. Um, I don't know if you want to kind of talk about how that relates. Maybe those names relate to the, the kingdoms that we'll talk about the, the, with other names. Um, Caledonia was a name for the Picts. Yes, so there was the Caledonai, the Dam, Damnonai, yeah. and then um, there is, it was the, the horse people, which were called... Horse people? Yeah, the, that's apparently the, uh, the name given to them. There was the Damnonai... Epidai or Epidai, um, they were to the west and then the Caledonii were to the north. Yeah, so the Caledonii, I think, could be maybe construed as being the Picts and the Damnonii yep. can be construed as being the, the Britons. Uh, or they'd be the, from the Scots, if they were to the west. Hmm. And then, well, I it's kind of, uh, definitely the Dam, uh, sorry, yeah, the Damnonii were um, said to be descended from the, the Britons. Hmm. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, well, and there's these different names for people, but, um, you know, whoever the Romans were kind of speaking of in those accounts, it's not super easy to determine who they were talking about. Um, but the Dam, you know, the, the Caledonia, sorry, might have kind of referred to a sort of collection of tribes that became or eventually formed the Kingdom of the Picts. Yep. Um, so that emerged as a sort of coherent political unit in the 7th and 8th century. Um, and the Picts were based, you know, they were stemming from, mainly from the north and east of Scotland. They seem they? to have the largest kind of... Surface Coverage, area, yeah. And obviously, I mean, as, as we can imply here, that, that that boundary sort of did touch on Loch Lomond as well um, at, at points. So in the west of the country, though, um, on the west side of the, the loch, that, that influence was felt by the, the Scots, yep. the Kingdom of the Scots, which is a name used to refer to the, the Gallic Kingdom of uh, Dalriada, um, which had strong links to Ireland. Um, with strong bases in the mainland and the island areas of Argyll, north yes, and west of the loch. It's not a very far journey from the very north, like northeast island across to, I think, I'd actually looked this up, I believe it's about 10 miles. I do. Aye, uh, from 
rather than most north eastern point to Mullican Tire. All right, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, and also, uh, you know, to the south um, and to the south of the lock, and as we'll touch on in the Strathclyde area a lot, um, you had um, the Britons, uh, the Kingdom of the Britons, uh, having a lot of influence there. Um, other notable kingdoms at the time influenced in Scotland were the Angles, particularly in the southeast. Um, and uh, we, of course, can talk about the Vikings, we'll talk about later in this yes. episode. Um, so, yeah, I guess we can we can kind of talk about the, the picks first, I guess, Matt. Yep. Um, maybe fitting because one of their kings, um, Kenneth McAlpin, as it's said, um, said here in, in its sort of traditional um, spelling, or Kenneth McAlpin, I think this has been anglicised yep. for, or, or, or kind of Scottishised for, um, is credited generally as being one of the first unified sort of kings uh, of what we would now recognise as Scotland. I think he was the king of, of Alba as it was kind of accounted. Um, um, so much of our knowledge of the Picts is based from Pictish stones dating from the 6th to 9th century, mostly in northeastern Scotland. Yep. Um, some of these featured um, Celtic-like crosses, and which kind of show the Christianisation of much of Scotland and the Gallicisation of much of Scotland during this period. However, earlier stones uh, feature symbolism that even today is not understood by archaeologists and historians. So things like, um, you know, there's common, very common etchings of uh, double discs shapes, zeroed shapes and mirror and comb symbols, which nobody has a clue what it means. It, you know, you tell me you don't understand them? Aliens. <laughs> Telling you, mate. Um, so yeah, I've got a cool picture of a stone here with, with uh, alien carvings on it you can you can look at yourself um, if you search them up but uh, the etymological roots of the Picts this is an interesting one I guess you talked about this a bit before yeah. but um, I mean I think the popularly people thought it was stemming from the, um, the, the, the Roman sort of origin word which um, meant painted mm-hmm. because uh, you know like even if you kind of Google image Picts um, rather loud unruly geese over here um, even if you google image uh, the pics you'll see these kind of pictures of like you know painted kind of blue paint yeah almost aye tattooed tattooed aye so apparently tattooing was a practice back then they were um, yeah, hammering etchings into each other's needles fair play to them uh, before um, uh, proper like health coverage eyes, or sanitisation yeah. as well bold um, so yeah um like part of the reason why these kind of names and symbols are so you know, mysterious and the etchings in the stones is because it's stemming from a language, Pictish, which is um, actually distinct from Gaelic mm-hmm. and Britonic languages that were spoken in Scotland during this period. Um, and, you know, the language has been extinct for, for many centuries. Um, so it remains a mystery, you know, despite it's the, the people's sort of significance in, in Scotland's history. Mm-hmm. And the next, the next kingdom we have here covered is, is the Scots. Um, before we do that, do you want to uh, amble over to the, yeah, the we'll point? Play my, yeah, play my territory. Yeah. There's a little kind of plaque with information. It's next to this uh, Strathcashel point, which is like a kind of remnants of a, a sort of rocky fort. What is it? What does it say? What does the plaque say, Matt? It says that it's probably a fort of Iron Age date consisting of an irregular oval dry stone wall enclosing wall two metres thick. It's two entrances, one on the south and one on the west. 
the west one has been blocked and one on the east, uh, the rectangular structure within the enclosure is of a later date. So I'd imagine we will come on to talk about this a bit later, but the, the stone wall will be Iron Age and then the rectangular structure, I'm assuming, will be the, um, the re religious establishment. Which is more sort of the period we're looking at yes. later on, yeah. So that's interesting. I mean, again, another example of a sort of ancient Iron Age uh, settlement that you can you can actually see pretty accessible as well. Somebody paddle boards past it in front of us in the water. Perhaps, you know, this, this kind of area, the lock on the east side, Matt, um, could have well been, you know, Pictish people or even Scottish or, or Scots or, or Britons sort of yes, making then, their influence felt here. Yes. As, again, we'll kind of come on to it later, but the um, Loch Lomond seems to be like a kind of meeting point for all the the kingdoms that were around at that time. So yeah, to the west of the Picts ruled the, the Scots in the Gallic kingdom of, of Dalriada. So again, similar to the, the Picts were kind of popularly named and people think is stemming from Roman Greek um, origins and their accounts uh, of the people describing Scottish and Irish based marauders um, of the Roman encampments. Um, so many historians refer to the Scots of Dalriada as the Gales. Yep. Um, so you can maybe hear that as well if you're getting confused. Um, they're also called that. The kind of Dalriada has kind of got like mythological origins. It's said to have been founded by the legendary king Fergus Mor or Fergus the Great. Um, a man that successive rulers of Scotland actually all through the ages uh, claimed lineage from. But none of them can, could actually yeah. prove she even existed. Sort of like a kind of King Arthur figure, isn't it? Yeah. Somebody again who's actually relevant to this, this section, this podcast as well, this episode. Um, at the height of its power in the turn of the 7th century, Dalriada commanded uh, a pretty impressive naval prowess and powerful uh, Gallic slash Gaelic bases in places such as Antrim in Northern Ireland. Um, which probably would like to be described as, as Gaelic, but uh, well, that's more. I'm touching again on those Northern Irish pods. Uh, the, the latest census as well. Mm, okay, well, anyway. Maybe um, away from that. I don't, I don't know what our face is getting um, slapped on bonfires, do we? Um, so, <laughs> Hebridean, other bases included Hebridean Islands such as Isla and Tyree. Um, which, are, which are a nice place to visit off the west coast of Scotland and uh, Cowell on the Scottish mainland which is kind of Argyll and Butte isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, from its other strong island base of Iona which will be pretty familiar to a lot of people who know anything about Scotland um, you know that's that place is especially synonymous with Celtic Christian foundation stories um, and the Kingdom of Dalriada from that base played a key role in spreading uh, from its Irish roots the monotheistic religion of Christianity through um, what was a you know, previously uh, polytheistic Scotland or forward slash paganistic, um, and we kind of touched a little bit in the uh, the last episode, the, well, the first episode of Who Got Here First about some of those Celtic ritualistic pagan traditions, uh, including wearing like deer skulls as hats. And yeah, stuff. some pretty scary stuff. Yeah, pretty uh, kind of thing you'd expect to see in like um, you know, a scene at True Detective or something like that in the, in the crime scene. But uh, yeah, so. Um, to the to the south uh, and east, as we covered a bit earlier on, um, uh, the Britons, that's where the Kingdom of the Britons um, uh, was, was sort of based. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was also known as the Kingdom of Strathclyde, which gives you an idea again of its sort of territory at the time. Yeah, so the, the Kingdom of Strathclyde, I believe, started kind of the north of the loch and 
travel or continued all the way down to Lancashire. So that kind of shows you the the distance that that kingdom was covering. Um, and yes, the base was at Dumbarton Rock, which was called. There's many spellings of it, but um, Alclut, yeah. which in and one of the spellings I think it's C L U Y D, which then kind of starts giving the mm. the base to Clyde because that was like, Rock of the Clyde. Uh, yeah, and the site was said to have been uh, the northern site of the sort of great mythological King Arthur of the Britons. So that gives you again an idea of the sort of the significance of this this part of the world, you know, and these and these these big histories. Um, in 870, though, the, the site was, uh, Dumbarton Rock, that is, um, was blockaded for four months and then sacked by Vikings led by the Norse King of Ireland, Olaf the White. Uh, they sailed from Dublin to Dumbarton Rock um, and left, as uh, Bruce Fumi describes, and we'll, um, I think, uh, we, we don't know if we've referenced him before, but he's, Bruce Fumi uh, does Scotland history tours on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely outstanding uh, yeah, yeah. resource he used, like the videos usually about 10 to 15 minutes long, but it really crams in as much information as you need, but it's in a very digestible manner. Yeah, he's a comedian uh, as well, so he's he delivers it in a pretty 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 accessible way, and uh, he's also been in Off the Ball. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, which is another nice expansion of the Off the Ball uh, about podcast universe as yeah, well. Yeah, I think he's from Perth. So I don't know if him and Stuart Cosgrove know each other, but they both ah, support St. St. Johnston. Johnston now. Um, do we know if he knows Neil Oliver? Uh, I can't confirm or deny that. He may. Seems a bit not. too sound. <laughs> <laughs> I think we really need to get fuck Neil Oliver t shirts. <laughs> anyway. I'll, I'll look into it. Yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> some merch on the There go. we go. That's a Neil Oliver out of the crowd. Just try to see where I can pigeonhole that in there. Um, so, yeah, as Bruce Fumi describes, uh, in 870, um, Dumbarton Rock was blockaded and sacked by Vikings, um, they left, um, as they sailed from Dublin, they left with 200 ships full of booty, slaves and prisoners for ransom to sail across the Irish Sea. Um, not uh, a good moment there for those folk in Dumbarton. Nah. Um, for the rough just now, I eh? was going to say, would you rather be <laughs> then or now in Dumbarton? I'd have probably said then. <laughs> uh, folk from Dumbarton get angry at that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so the Britons, um, they actually then moved their base to present-day Govan, um, uh, another another in, interesting place today, um, um, which indicates perhaps the roots of the name of, of Kingdom of Strathclyde as well. So there's two sort of um, major disruptions right now. I'd say uh, pounds, uh, <laughs> and um, I'd say the first for the podcast, um, midges are starting to come. A, a, a bit of here. a pain in the arse, yeah. So we're uh, kind of a bit here towards the evening, and uh, I, for some reason. I've been kind of terrorised by midges my entire life. I've forgotten that they are a thing, especially well, near the water. Once you get to September, though, you don't... It's usually the height of summer that they're a real pain in the arse. So we're going to try and move. Maybe they'll struggle to uh, struggle to attack us if we're on the move. Um, I don't know if anyone ends up listening to us. Not from Scotland. Um, can you describe a midgey, Matt? Uh, oh, they're just a pain in the arse. There we go. They're just, like, That's... we... Um, Mosquitoes, like, yeah, mosquitoes, but they don't carry malaria. Yeah, that would be a blow in fairness. I would have, uh, had there been real struggles, well, quite a few times if that had been the case. I mean, I uh, always tell a story about how, um, my mum, who's is a lovely woman, but is not punctual, and uh, um, she a few times maybe picked me up late from a football train or something like that. I remember one day she picked me up, um, 
two hours after it finished. And it was just like a kind of summer's night. And I got such bad midge bites the next day that uh, I tried some, I think the teacher tried to send me home from PE because they thought I had chicken pox. But it was, I was like, no, no, my mum just picked me up. Forgot to pick football me up. She forgot to pick me up. So I got eaten alive by midges and couldn't go anywhere. So they'd just been child services getting phone <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, yeah, you know, she made up for it in, in, other, in other ways. Um, so, um, I guess um, talking about that kind of story with Olaf the White and that, mm-hmm. maybe a good time to talk about the Vikings. Yes. Um, like to give a bit of background. So the Vikings, I think, kind of relates to anyone from Scandinavia, so that would be Sweden, Denmark and um, Norway. But it was only the Norwegians that kind of uh, entered Scotland. So although they're called Vikings, they're actually Norsemen. Um, so they first arrived in Scotland in 795 uh, and again first touched down in Iona mm. uh, off the west coast. So they had control of the Outer Hebrides, Orkney, Shetland and then kind of Inner Hebrides and islands around the Firth of Clyde. They it was kind of... No one was entirely sure. There was kind of negotiations taking place between uh, King Haakon of Norway and it would be uh, Alexander the Third, the King of Scots. We've jumped forward here about five hundred years, but yeah, these are kind of key dates, right? And they'll make more sense in a second. So, um, in twelve sixty three, King Haakon decided to kind of stamp his authority on the Scots and. Um, left. He was 60 years old at this point? He was 60 years old, too too old to be faffing about like this. My dad was still frying fish and chips at this point, and that was a rough rough gig for him, but I didn't try and sack a whole country, a whole west side of the country. Yeah, so um, they left Norway with a large fleet of longboats, stopping off in the Outer Hebrides, and then the Firth of Lawn to gain um, more ships and troops. So in Outer Hebrides, he met up with King Magnus, a man who was based there. At the Isle of Man? King Magnus, a man, was based in uh, Outer Hebrides. Mm. Um, Why is his name King Magnus of Man? I don't know if that's... They also had control of the Isle of Man because they stopped off in Landis Farm uh, in England two years earlier. Uh, Well, two years earlier from their initial invasion of Scotland. Mm. So, um, yeah, they'd stopped off... Um, a couple of places to pick up extra ships and men um, and they also just kind of uh, ran absolute riot everywhere on the way. Um, a bit of raping and pillaging? A lot of raping and pillaging. So then by early September they had around 120 ships in the fleet. They sailed around the Mullock entire to the Firth of Clyde. Um, as I said, the Firth of Clyde islands at this time were kind of... Um, there was negotiations taking place to see who actually owned them. Mm. Um, winter was coming round the corner and Alexander the third was aware of this. So he was kind of holding out because they knew that winter would make yeah. things more difficult for King Harkin. And um, King Harkin's also aware of this. So he became impatient and sent around 40 ships uh, under the command of King Magnus a man up Loch Long. So these would have been although they were born in the Hebrides, these Norsemen are these people that were coming up Loch Long 
they'd been called Norsemen, but right. they were never actually born in, yeah. or never actually from Norway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they go up Loch Long. They Loch Long for context. Um, it's like next to Loch Lomond, so this is where there's about a couple of miles in between Arica and Tarbot. So Arica's in Loch Long, Tarbot's where the Vikings entered Loch Lomond. So Loch Long kind of is... is, is um, it's, it's an offshoot of the Clyde, yeah. so if you're going along the Clyde, it kind of sh- goes up towards like Gearlock Head. To the west of Loch Lomond. Yeah. yeah. And that connects to the Clyde estuary, right? Well, if you're coming down from yeah, Loch, yeah. Loch Long, yeah, yeah. Uh, it would be that way. But yeah, yeah. Um, so the Norsemen, well, we said, these probably weren't longboats either, again, because they were from the Outer Hebrides, they were probably smaller ships that had been built to potter around in the Outer Hebrides mm-hmm. came to Arica and then dragged the longboats out the water across about a few miles between Arica and Tarbot where they put the boats back in the water should be said as well apparently Tarbot means port in north mm-hmm. so yeah reached Tarbot and then um, did the same as they were doing previously just made their way through the lock really fucking shit up as they went so I, I will also say that at this point the islands were more heavily populated than they would usually have been because people thought they were safe yeah. but not against the Vikings again. yeah got that one very wrong <laughs> so this is where kind of there's two different versions there's either that the Norsemen then sailed back like right down the Leaven or down the lock into the Leaven and then the Leaven meets up with the Clyde at Dumbarton and then they were meant to go that way to go and meet up with them. Another source said that they just went back the way they came. So they'd went back to Tarbot, back across to Arica, and then um, sailed back down from there. But the night they were meant to sail away, which was apparently the 30th, to, or night of the 30th to the 31st, uh, there was a hefty gale. There was around 10 ships that were lost and the departure of the rest was delayed. Obviously, sounds like bad news for the, the folk in Loch Long or the Vikings from there or that were there, but um, the ships that were still in the Firth of Clyde also experienced this uh, gale and a lot of their ships were dragged onto the shore. Even King Haken's ship, which apparently had eight anchors, managed to get pulled adrift. It's windy. I would not have liked to have been about for that. So the Norsemen decided that they should probably, or they would need to go and collect their, their stranded ships. Once they arrived on the shore, the Scots were waiting for them and they caused all sorts of bother. Mm. Um, this was then known as the Battle of Largs. Right. Seen as a massive victory for the Scots, but the Norses were hitting out with the you only one because I'll let you <laughs> and calling it a tactical retreat. So I don't know whether the Scots let them or they really fought for it, but they managed to retrieve their stranded boats. Um, the folk from Loch Long then managed to meet up with the from the Firth of Clyde and they fucked off back to Norway. Mm-hmm. King Haken died on the way at Orkney and then, so this was 1263 and in 1266 the Treaty of Perth was signed which signed over control of the Outer Hebrides back to, back to the Scots. Yeah, and that obviously a pretty important sort of constitutional moment in the history of Scotland. Yes. Um, I guess that's sort of uh, linked to the sort of um, just shows you how the Vikings and like as a, as a common enemy were, um, and actually the problem is that a lot of these people were talking about these different groups there was there was sort of intermarriage and stuff like that wasn't there as well but yeah that seems to be a recurring theme just yeah. throughout there is also an idea though that the Vikings as a common enemy had kind of unite, unified sort of like the, 
the, the kingdoms we were speaking about of the, the Brits, the Scots and the Picts as well. Um, you can actually, there's a quite a good walk, I mean, we've done it before, like from Arica to Tarbet. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's, um, is it the same route? That the it part, would the be pretty carried? much the same way that the, the boats were carried. Yeah, interesting. Um, you put here Scotland 2, Invaders 1. Yes. Scots go ahead with a great goal in the counter-attack after a sustained period of Nordic pressure. Well, um, we're about to enter a World Cup <laughs> period with no Scotland in it and there's definitely some Norse teams in there, unfortunately, so yeah, I think we had the last laugh. Unfortunately, yeah, there we go. I guess um, the one thing we've kind of not uh, talked about much yet is um, Christianisation yes. and all of this, which is another sort of... Um, maybe could be seen as like a unifying force in this sort of uh, origin story of Scotland as well and is again really tightly linked to this area. Um, maybe we can do that and also try and move yep. so that the midges again um, leave us alone. Um, we're going to have to hike this fence again. Know what we're doing this time. No injuries. So yeah, um, You've written quite a bit here about, about St. Kessig, Matt. Why was he important? So he um, was an Irish saint that came across and um, kind of started a base on Instavanach, which is on the west side of the loch, just uh, down from Luss. So he'd kind of set this up as a base to go out on expeditions and spread, spread the good word. Um, so the expeditions took him around kind of the Lennox area and then possibly even as far north as Inverness and far south as Girvan. Right. So uh, St Kessig was um, also the son of uh, King of Munster. Right. Sorry, and shown those Irish roots. Um, so this was in the 6th century. He made his way to Instavanagh. He then started a monastery in the island, um, using it to train his helpers. And the, the main hill on the island became known as Tamnaclag, which is Hill of the Bell and could be said to be used to summon worshippers. And that's what we're kind of across the waterfront today, right? I mean, yes, yeah. So um, you can see, you should be able to see Inch. Um, it might be blocked by, I think that's Inchlow and Egg there. Right, right. But, um, yeah. So then, in 560 AD, roughly, um, there was a war between the Picts and the Scots and it kind of made its way through Loch Lomond and apparently St Kessig died in that. Um, again, I'm about a mile or so from Luss. His body was embalmed in herbs to be taken home for burial. And apparently this is where the name Luss comes from, as a Gallagher. <laughs> That's pretty much what it was. <laughs> um, or fermented. <laughs> so yeah, apparently this is where the Luss, uh, word Luss comes from, as the Gallic word for herbs is. Right. Luss. There's also, I've heard those, to do with the uh, flower de lis that grows in the area. Who knows? Who really knows? People speculate. There was also uh, another saint, well, another two islands on the loch which were used as monasteries. So there's Inchmurn, which is the most southerly island. The only and inhabited the, island in Loch Lomond. Uh, yeah, in the, like, in, in in the world. <laughs> in the world. Is that wrongly suggested? <laughs> I didn't correct you, to be fair. <laughs> um, so yeah, again in the sixth century, Saint Mirren, which was or who was based in Paisley, where his monastery was, um, also had a monastery on the island, and he worked through 
throughout both Pict and Britain territory. Um, again, as you're saying, kind of as a unifying force. Mm. So he built a chapel near the south end of the island. Apparently the ruins were still visible until the 18th century, but they have now disappeared. And that's uh, obviously where um, Football and Powerhouse in Midden are named after. Yes, well. exactly. So yeah, as I said, he was, like, he was based in Paisley. That's where the St Midden Football Club comes from. Um, and then there was another on Inch Kyloch, which is not that far from here. It's just across from Balmaha. I've probably mentioned it before. Yeah. In the 8th century, a nunnery was set up by St Kentigerna, which is not to be confused with St Kentigern, who's St Mungo. Um, so she was widowed in Ireland, and she was also a, the daughter of the King of Leinster. Mm. Widowed in Ireland and left in around 717 uh, with her brother St Comgan. And uh, our family, one of who became Saint Philan. It's quite useful this when your children are also saints. Uh, yeah, well, this is it says family, so I don't know whether that means, mm. but it might be. Yeah, so yeah, I think they started off in Galloway, and kind of went up to Islay and went as far up as Loch Alge. Um Saint Comgan moved east, um, and Saint Kentigerna, or yeah, Saint Kentigerna was. Um, moved south yeah. with St Phil into Loch Lomond and they settled on Inchkyloch, which means Island of Old Women. Mm. Uh, the nunnery was set up and Kent Gerner lived there until 737 AD. So we're just at Strathcashel Point, which we can describe now. So the definition of it is um, an island that refers to a dry stone-built enclosure or ring fort, but in Scotland it can mean an early religious establishment surrounded by an enclosing wall so that's probably what the rectangular yeah. bit was so you can find points like this at Strathcashel and uh, there's also possibly one of St Kessig's at um, Knockenhaglish not Auchenhaglish that's the other yeah. side of the loch uh, which is just west of the Devil's Pulpit I think one thing we missed at Strathcashel point just walked away from it there was a, a Cranagh I think which might have been you might be able to see the remnants of just off the shore mm. Uh, of it, I, I saw that on the map uh, uh, that I looked at before we set off. Um, but yeah, there's also some notes here about other maybe. Um, I don't know if we mentioned that already. The um, sites like this can be found. Um, also, knocking knocking Aglish, um, west of Finnick Glen, which is Devil's Pulpit. Devil's Pulpit as well. Yeah. Um, cool. So yeah, I mean. Um, you know, although Loch Lomond was, was where the sort of forefront of the Great Kingdoms, um, that we've kind of uh, um, we've talked about the, the kind of Strathclyde or Britons and the Picts, uh, Dalriada or the Scots, um, and also the Anglian Kingdom of Lothian as well. That that, yeah, that yeah. was quite an influence as well. We've not covered that too much in this episode for, for this area, but um, you know, Strath the Kingdom of Strathclyde, um, as as the kind of the the the, the years went on. Um, it, it kind of became well, the Kingdom of Alba was united I know under sort of um, uh, Kenneth McAlpin um, and that was the Picts and the Scots so the, I think the Picts were basically so strong at some one point they essentially annexed the Kingdom of, of the Scots and um, a similar thing seemed to happen with the, the Kingdom of Strathclyde right because um, we've got here that um, the last independent King of Strathclyde Egan uh, maybe Owen Owen um, was killed in 1018 shortly after uh, the Battle of Carum, um, and his successor Duncan I, who was the grandson of Malcolm II, became 
um, what was known as King of Scotland in 1034. Yes. It's also worth saying that um, Duncan I... Right, aye. This is very confused. Because he was... Um, well, he was he was the, the he was actually the grandson of Kenneth McAlpin, who we've mentioned a couple of times, who was the king of the Picts, uh, to show the influence of that. Um, so we think when he became king, that title of Kingdom of Strathclyde, the King of Strathclyde, was probably a ceremonial thing. Yeah, perhaps. just kind of um, to appease folk. But yeah, when he became the, the king, king, <laughs> he he unified, became a unified king of Scotland at that time, ten thirty four. Um, but but obviously, you know, this 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 area was still kind of a. a Quite, quite, quite. Um, had some sort of mark of importance and uh, all of that as well. Um, I think Duncan the first was supposed to be what Macbeth was based on. Yes, but then Duncan the second was actually, actually known Mac- as Macbeth. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Shakespeare got his, his slightly got his. Well, I think his story was based on an inaccurate account, from what I understand. So yeah, if you're ever look, interested in any of that stuff, you can see see that Duncan the first Macbeth, um, King of Strathclyde, became King of Scotland. So yeah, I think. Maybe thing to sort of uh, finish up on a bit is uh, a lot of these sites, you know, are you, you can visit them. Uh, some of the things we talked about um, around the area. That's the, the great thing you can do. Um, any other kind of passing thoughts of this, Matt? Any highlights? <coughs> Sorry, a midget caught in your throat. Tickly throat there. Can I edit that out? <laughs> Um, sorry, can you repeat the question? <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any highlights or any closing thoughts? Um, highlights? I don't know. I did most of reading on the Viking stuff, so like I found that quite interesting. Um, you know, just like... The scale of death and destruction is probably quite e- quite easy to discount, isn't it? Ab- giving absolutely no fucks. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and just like the fact that, you know, the... The folk who were raping and pillaging down here ended up pretty much. I mean, I don't know if the people, like Norsemen that were in the Outer Hebrides, I'd imagine they just fucked off after um, the Treaty of Perth was signed. But yeah, it's interesting that you've got that amount of destruction being caused by folk who yeah. three years later would have been. Yeah, just considered kind of part of the kingdom, right? Yeah. Part of the country. I mean, I think that's, that's for me is kind of what's always stood out in all these. In kind of accounts and stories is that you've got all these people from different places speaking different languages, different backgrounds. In Scotland, you know, you had the Picts in the northeast, you had the Britons, you know, and and, and you know who were linked um, linked quite a lot through their kind of come what became a kind of um, Com- yeah. Cumbric language. They were linked a lot with the Gaels of the Welsh, uh, Wales, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the Irish as well, who are you know sort of with Catholicism kind of tightly linked to the European continent as well and stuff. I mean. Uh, all these different people um, coming to form Scotland and I think if you're not familiar with the formation of well with history in general maybe or the formation of Scotland or any country it's, it's the sheer amount of d- different people from different backgrounds which contribute I mean the idea of a, and again I remember Bruce Fumi who we mentioned one of his videos talks about this the idea of there being a single Scottish ethnicity is so off the mark it's not even funny. yes I yeah, just a massive melting pot of different cultures that ended up... Even Scotland, somewhere we, we think is quite monocultural, was probably maybe even more multicultural back then than it, than it is maybe in, in Yeah, times. but even, like, you still look, there's different dialects that yeah, exist yeah, yeah. within Scotland. Um, parts of Scotland speak a different language to other parts as well, so it's still yeah. not as homogenous as... Uh-huh. And I think maybe one of you did mention, but, yeah, the, the, the Britons, they spoke this Britonic language which became Cumbric and... 
obviously that those areas that kind of gave away to what became English and um, uh, you know the Picts, although they were really powerful forces in this story we talked about, they spoke Pictish and that became dead. And actually, they ended up along with kind of Christianization. Uh, they had a kind of Gallicization, didn't they, from the Scots influence and yes. they ended up speaking Gaelic, I guess, um, which you know eventually, in the kind of more recent times, would mostly give away to to Scots or Scots English or English. Um, but yeah, interesting stories and I can, um, can maybe finish up here as we kind of look across uh, this field in the loch and the uh, lovely uh, sunsets uh, as we get absolutely massacred by midges and that's why we need to finish up here before we get uh, eaten alive. Yeah, I'm getting a bit tetchy. Yeah. <laughs>